You're listening to sermons from Redeemer Church in Round Rock, Texas. Redeemer is a gospel-centered, missional family learning and living the way of Jesus in the suburbs of Austin. Well, gosh, it's good to be here this morning. Before I get any further into this, it's really important that I just say a couple of words of gratitude because when we moved here, we didn't know what we would be facing as far as uh, how God would allow us to come here and do this. Uh, and we, uh, there's, there was four families, one of them since had to move on to New Braunfels, but there's three of us that moved um, at different times to come down here and start this church and, uh, in Georgetown. And we have been so well loved by this church. Uh, the, I was trying really hard to give Josh and Jordan a compliment one day at lunch, and the best I could do was, you guys are kind of like a great boy band. I mean, you, like with two great singers. You know, you got these great worship leaders, you got these great leaders, you got great preaching, and it has been such a gift and such an honor for us to be here and be loved by this group. And so we're, we're really grateful, and I want to say that at the, at the front end. Uh, a little microbiography on me before we get into Jeremiah chapter 9. And so if you have a Bible, I want you to make your way towards that. Uh, a year and a half ago, my wife and I were enjoying Easter lunch with our kids and uh, as I was sitting there just thanking God that he saved me, literally just feeling, oh my gosh, I'm so grateful you've saved me, God. Just so grateful. We had grilled some salmon. I was sitting there with my family, and I just was thanking God for saving me and then letting me make a living as a preaching pastor. Uh, we'd been in that church for, at that time, 12 years, 11 and a half, and uh, it's such a great church. It's thriving and flourishing even now in Plainfield, Illinois. Um, and as I was sitting there enjoying that great meal, it's as if it was as clear as audible that the Lord just spoke into my heart. I didn't hear it, but I felt it with everything in me that God was saying uh, that the workers are few and the harvest is plentiful, and I want you to plant again. And I was kind of in the mood of, no. <laughs> like, nobody does this a second time. It's, why would you, you know? And, and uh, as I started sharing with my wife and we talked to some other couples. Um, it just made sense the Lord is calling us to come and do this. And so um, that was a year and a half ago. Uh, and God has worked out every detail uh, for us to be here. And so I'm very grateful for that. So before we go into Jeremiah chapter 9, and some of you are thinking, wait a minute, weren't we chapter 3 like last week? What happened there, you know? Uh, we're taking kind of a bird's eye view of this book. And a lot of what happens in the chapters between chapter 3 and chapter 9 is a call for the nation of, not the nation of Israel, but for, the, for Judah and uh, the tribe of Benjamin to come back to the Lord, return to the Lord, the loving heart of God calling out to his wayward people. And in chapter uh, 9, we find ourselves in this place where 630 years before Jesus comes, you've got this wayward group, this wayward people who have not lost the outer uh, signs of religion, but they've wandered far in their heart from God. How does God respond to it? Well, let me kind of break down chapter 9 for you so you can see where we're going. In uh, these verses 1 through 11, you're going to see God's lament, God's lament, uh, God's response to sin is lament. God's heart is wounded and hurt by the sins of Judah. And he's calling out to them. 
In verses 12 through 6 of chapter 9, you'll see a diagnosis by God of how we ended up in this awful moment. God will show them how they arrived in that moment. And then in verses 17 to 26, he shows us our lament. And so my hope is that you will hear the heart of God this morning. And that no matter how you got here, maybe somebody's been inviting you for weeks or months. You got to come here, my pastor preach, <laughs> meaning Josh or Jordan. Sorry, <laughs> it'll be fine, trust me. But I don't know how you think you got here, but I can tell you this, God intended for you to be here this morning. God knows the story of your life. He knows the wounds that you have carried with you for a long time. He knows the hopes and dreams that you're looking into the future at. He also knows the things that you're afraid of. And so I want to just encourage you. Let's just stop for a moment. Let's ask God for the grace to hear from him that he would speak to your heart this morning. Pray with me. Father, I just want to say thank you for the great gift of being in the gathered church this morning, for this beautiful church, Redeemer Round Rock. God, we know that when the church gathers, there's a, a particular, peculiar joy that you have in the exaltation of Jesus through song and through scripture, the gospel being preached. Lord, you know that each person here brings in their hearts distractions, wounds, maybe even apathy, struggles that they've carried for a long time. Father, you know exactly what to say. Help us to give our full attention and have ears that are ready to hear, hearts that are ready to believe. God, that you would remove our distractions, our self-examination, and help us just to hear from your spirit as you speak through your word. God, that's what we long for. That's what we want. And so we ask you for it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Chapter 9 of Jeremiah says these words, verse 1 and 2. Oh, that my head were waters and my eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. Oh, that I had in the desert a traveler's lodging place that I might leave my people and go away from them, for they are all adulterers, a company of treacherous men. Verse 3 says, They bend their tongue like a bow. Falsehood and not truth is grown strong in the land. They proceed from evil to evil. They do not know me, declares the Lord. As you hear these words, you hear in the first two verses almost as if two wishes. Oh, that I could cry 24-7. There is not enough tears to weep and to, uh, to shed over the spiritual condition of my people. Now, often through this book, and particularly in this chapter, you're going to ask the question, who is speaking? Is it Jeremiah? Is it God? And the answer is, it is Jeremiah filled with the Spirit of God, speaking on behalf of God, a man who has not only learned the mind of God, but he has now felt the heart of God. And so when Jeremiah speaks, he speaks on behalf of God when he says, there isn't enough tears in the world for me to shed for the spiritual condition of my people who've wandered from me. Oh, that I could cry 24-7, that I could cry day and night for them. And then the startling verse that next says, oh, that I could get away from them. 
that I'd have a traveler's lodge in the desert that I could get away from them. And maybe you know what it feels like to be uh, absolutely captured in your love for somebody, but that because of that love and that intimacy, it brings you pain. Because when you see them ruining and wrecking their life, you feel it with an intensity that they could never imagine. And that's what's going on here. That's what's going on in Jeremiah chapter 9, is God saying, I have a broken heart for my people in Judah. I want them to return, and they're not. And in fact, it says that they bend their tongue like a bow. They take aim with words. They're careful as they study where they want their words to hit a particular mark so that it can do damage. And that falsehood has grown strong in the land. This is a, a bunch of people. This is a, a company of treacherous men. And it says they proceed from evil to evil and they don't know me. And what happens later on as he continues on down in verse 6, you almost see like a culmination of this when he says these words. They are heaping oppression upon oppression, deceit upon deceit, and they refuse to know me, declares the Lord. It's one step further, one step worse. It's not that they don't know me. They refuse to know me. They don't want to know me. Because the knowledge of God is a whole lot more challenging, a whole lot more difficult than just practicing religion. Knowing the heart of God is going to change the way you view the world. It's going to change the way you feel about sin in your life. It's going to change the way you feel about sinners. Right? They don't want that. They just as soon have the practices. Listen to what else he says in verse 7. Therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, I will refine them and I will test them. For what else can I do because of my people? You, you would almost think that this God of the Old Testament, sometimes we characterize him as being this eager to punish, eager to smite. And what does he say in light of this? Therefore, I will destroy them. No. He says, therefore, I will refine them. God is holy. God is majestic. God is perfect. And so he can't just turn his eyes away from the sin, but he loves the people. He loves Judah. And he calls out to them to refine them. Listen to what else he says in verse 9. He says, shall I not punish them for these things, declares the Lord? Shall I not avenge myself on a nation such as this? It's as if he's saying, you tell me what you think I should do. Turn an eye away from it? No. But I want you to hear this in case you're getting nervous. In case you find yourself going, oh no, oh no. God, God is holy and I get that. And there's sin in, in the camp and he's going to deal with it. What does that mean for me? Well, I want you to keep watching. He says in verse 10, after saying that he will avenge himself, he says, I will take up weeping wailing on the, for the mountains, a lamentation for the pastures of the wilderness because they are laid waste so that no one passes through. And the lowing of cattle is not heard. Both birds of the air and beasts of the field are gone. Now I want you to just stop for a second and recognize this truth. Our God is holy. Our God is righteous. He will do right. He always does. And that's why he is uh, not going to turn a blind eye to the sin of the people of Judah. He's going to avenge himself. He's going to punish. He's going to refine. 
because that's the kind of God that he is. But see this, he will do it with a tear-stained face. Weeping, wailing, lamentation. I remember uh, a sad story in my own life. I was probably 18 years old. Uh, my brother was going into the Marine Corps, and my dad had come, and there were some kind of a family event. My dad being my dad, he, I don't know what, but my junior high mouth that was still in me at 18, I looked at my dad and I made some snide comment about his suit not looking very good. A silly looking suit. I said something pretty snappy. And I looked at my dad and realized I had injured him. At that age, I didn't know that was possible. I mean, I had the kind of mouth that could just shoot off every now and then. I did know that. I just didn't know that my words could do what they did. My arrow hit its mark in my dad. He was embarrassed. He was hurt. And I felt horrible about it. I sat there going, oh my gosh. Here I am, just a snappy mouth kid, and I've said something that did injury to my dad. I didn't know I could do that. As you sit here for a moment, I want you to think about the sin that's in your life, the pet sins in your life. Did you know you can injure God? Did you know that our God, almighty creator of heaven and earth, is also vulnerable to be hurt because he loves you so much? Did you know that? That the things that we say, ah, it's not that big a deal, it would never cause that much damage. I'm not as bad as I used to be or as that fellow over there, and therefore... It's not that big a deal. Now, what is God's response to the sin of his people? Weeping, wailing, and lamentation. God laments over sin. God is, when you hear these words, weeping, wailing, and lamentation, don't think manly cry, okay? Think of audible weeping. Broken face crying, the kind that you can hear. When was the last time you wept? Literally, with, without any shame of who heard or saw you, just let out with weeping and wailing. What phone call would it take today that you would get a particular news, a bad news that would cause you to do that? What is it that's so close to you that your response to it, if it broke, would be weeping, wailing, and lamentation? Because all of us in this room have something that could break us in one phone call at 2.30 today. When God sees the sin of Judah, and he knows the spiritual condition of these people that he loves so much, his response is lamentation. What's yours? When, when something breaks in your life, we all respond to it because we live in a, in a dark, broken world, right? We are sinned uh, against by others. We sin against others. We fail what we ought to be, what we'd love to be. We are living in broken worlds, in broken bodies, with the hope of eternity because of Jesus Christ. So when you face something that just crushes and breaks you, what's your response? God's response is lamentation. God's response is to weep and to wail. 
You know, for, for me, a lot of times when I face something that really breaks me, here's my, my response. I absorb it like a wave and it hurts, and then I tend to put my head down and keep going. Just keep moving forward. Uh, I work harder. That's what I do. And for some of you, you go out and you, you, you shop. This is your response to sin and brokenness. When someone wounds or hurts you, you go out and you buy something new, and for a moment, it kind of feels a little bit better. Or for some of you, it's, not, it's none of those things. You just get to blaming somebody. If, if so-and-so hadn't done that, if, if this wouldn't have happened and that wouldn't happen, well, then we wouldn't be in this mess. And so that's your response to brokenness in life. And for some of you, it's, you're just going to park yourself somewhere and just start eating because that makes you feel a little bit better in the moment. And for some, it's just ignore it. You just kind of hunker down and wait for it to go away. And in time, okay, you start getting there. But let me tell you something. God's response is different than that. When God sees the sin of his people, when God sees the brokenness of Judah, he weeps, wails, and laments, and he's determined to do something about it. Now, I don't know about you, but I never had a mentor say, of all the things I want to teach you, Robert, I teach you to read the Bible, I teach you the, the meta-narrative, I want you to see your place in history, I want you to see the whole of Genesis to Revelation, I want to teach you that, yes, I want to learn that from someone who's going to mentor me. I want to learn how to pray, and by God's grace, I have learned how to pray. I want to learn that. Did anybody have a mentor who said, let me teach you how to lament? No, well, there may be somebody out there. I'd like to meet you after this because you're the unique unicorn that I've never met. Lamentation is biblical. To lament is biblical because we are facing a world that crushes and ruins people. And it's not just out there. It's in here, right? Lament is an important thing for us to learn. It's God's response to sin and brokenness. God sees the spiritual condition of his people way differently than they do, way differently than we do. So we can see in verses 1 through 11, this is the, the broken mess that Judah is in at this time. They would have been shocked, I think, to hear this. I think they would have said, nah. You don't understand. I mean, we're keeping the, the dietary codes, we're observing Passover. We're doing these things. What do you mean? Heaping oppression upon oppression, deceit upon deceit, refusing to know the Lord. We're busy with our religion, and you're telling us that that's not enough. That's exactly right. God does not want you to just offer a little bit of money and a little bit of time. He's after far more than that. He's after you. The wholeness of your heart is what he's after. Listen to these words after God is proclaim his lamentation. Now in verse 12, we start to see his diagnosis of how they got to that moment. He says, who is the man who is wise and can understand this? To whom has the mouth of the Lord spoken that he may declare it? Why is the land ruined and laid waste like a wilderness so that no one passes through? And the Lord gives his answer. Listen to these words. It says, because they have forsaken my law that I set before them, they have not obeyed my voice or walked in accord with it, but they have stubbornly followed their own hearts 
and have gone after the Baals, as their fathers taught them. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, behold, I will feed this people with bitter food and give them poisonous water to drink. I will scatter them among the nations whom they have neither known nor their fathers have known. And I will send the sword after them until they are consumed. These are strong words, are they not? Uh, Years ago, when we launched my church in Illinois, it's called the Source Church, taken from Hebrews chapter 5, Jesus is the source of eternal life. Two weeks after we launched, a young man walks in with his wife and his two-year-old, and uh, he sits down, and this guy would become one of my closest friends. He worked at Argonne National Labs. He was a security analyst who was hired to study and to be a consultant for the infrastructure of the United States, various electrical grids or oil and gas, anything like that. Argonne National Labs would come out and they would assign teams to protect the infrastructure. And so Michael Collins was on a team called, uh, what is that? It'd be Left of Boom. There was a team called Left of Boom and a team called Right of Boom, right? So like here you are traveling along and then you got 9-11. And on the other side of that, they go back and go, what happened? I thought we were protected. How did we end up looking back at this moment? How did this happen? Michael was on the other side of that trying to put together strategies so that there would be no boom. And after boom, there was a team that went in and said, Let's figure out how this happened. What you're looking at in Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 12 and 13 and 14, it, it, it is this uh, left of boom, right? Right? You're on the other side of the chaos. We'll say it like that. How did they get there? If, if God loved them and God had given them his law and God had given them all that they needed, then how did they end up in this kind of spiritual condition? Well, he explains it right here. He says in verse 13, because they have forsaken my law that I set before them. They've not obeyed my voice or walked in accord with it. Now, what's the big deal? I mean, they had the sacrifice system. Why does God care so much about law? Why did God give law? And C.S. Lewis said that, I used to see God as the kind of person who was always snooping around looking to see if anybody was having fun so he could tell them to knock that off. He said, that's how I used to view God. Someone that didn't want you having any fun. No, the law of God is a reflection of the goodness, the glory, the kindness of God. The the law of God is given as a safeguard, as life-giving, as joy-giving to tell you who God is and how to live on this earth, right? And they took it and they forsook it. They took it and they said, well, that's a good idea. Now let's get on with life. They set it behind them. When they refused to walk in the law that God had given them, it was a rejection not just of the law, it was a rejection of God himself. It was saying, we don't need you. Keep your seat. And so they put away the law of God. And not only that, it says they stubbornly followed their own hearts. You guys, if if I were to ask you, pardon me, y'all, if I were to ask you, it's taking me a little while. uh, If I were to ask you who's the most stubborn person you know, 
Someone coming to mind? Do you go, oh, that's my grandma. She is the most stubborn person. Oh, that's my dad. No, it's the person you look right in the mirror at. <laughs> Stubborn. Stubbornness means this. You're trying something that isn't working, but you won't give up on it. You are determined to stay on that path, to stay on that course. This is your decided path of victory, and you stubbornly hold on to it. Why in the world would you do that? Well, he explains it right there. You're following your heart. You've taken your emotions and decided that that's a pretty good guide. If you feel good about it, you'll go with it. If you don't feel good about it, or if you change your mind later, you'll just switch. Whatever the word of God says is fine, but I've got an internal, internal emotional compass that I will follow. That's what they've done. And, and God weeps over this. Because his law is good. It brings life. That's why David meditates on it day and night. And it says instead of that, they stubbornly follow after their own hearts and they go after the Baals. Now, I'm just going to say this, and I promised Jordan I wouldn't express all of what I learned in seminary one day. Because if I told you what Baal worship is, it's disgusting. Like worse than you're thinking. I remember when Ron Allen was teaching our class, there's about 150 of us in mixed company. I kept thinking as he was describing bell worship, ah, that's enough. We're in mixed company. And he kept talking. I kept thinking, turn the channel. That's what I kept thinking as he was describing bell worship. It's ugly, awful, disgusting. It has to do with rain and crops and how uh, if you go to the high places, Baal will see your filthy immorality and he will bring rain on the land and that will be the way that you will feed your family. So you better get on those high places and you better do something that pleases Baal. It's disgusting to God. Because if you want to feed your family, don't put your trust in God. The God who brought you out of slavery, the God who loves you so much to give his law, to give his prophets, to give you uh, uh, prophets with a heart after his heart, don't trust in them, trust in several things. Just diversify a little bit, right? You don't want to put all your chips in one basket, right? You want to spread it out in case God drops the ball. That's what's going on with the bales and the pursuit of the bales. You know, when I, when I think about um, our world and our nation in particular, there seems to be this desire to untether from God, to take what you can from him when it's good, but then when he starts becoming restrictive about anything, untether, break the chain that tethers you to God. When we go down and we float on the Guadalupe River, my kids want their raft tethered to mom. Not me. I mean, I don't know why, but they want to be tethered, right? We're going to go over these rapids. At least we'll be safe. We'll tumble together, right? It seems like this world is saying, look, God, if you, if you become restrictive, if you start telling me how to spend time and money and all of these various things, uh, morally, any ethic thing, anything like that, I'm good as long as it doesn't cramp me and then I want to untether from you. And that's Psalm chapter 2, right? They want to tear his fetters apart. They want to be free agents that can do what they want. You guys ever see that movie, uh, Gravity, with George Clooney and Sandra Bullock? They're doing this spacewalk on the 
you know, the International Space Station, whatever, and somehow something happens and they are untethered from that and they are hurtling into the darkness, tethered to each other. Can you think of anything more terrifying? You're just, you're just hurtling through space with no hope. What does north mean when you're out there hurtling through space? What is south? What is east? What is west? It has no meaning. What happens to the nation United States, any nation, Judah, when they untether from God, are they free agents? Yeah. Now they're free. Now they're hurtling into nowhere. That's what they wanted. Does it make God angry? Yes, it makes God angry. Does it break God's heart? Yes, it breaks God's heart. Dial back for a second and think about your life. Think about the things that in your life you'd just as soon God say, whatever you want to do is fine with me. However you're going to spend your energy, your time, your, your efforts, your whatever. As long as you kind of keep the religious parts of your life somewhat activated. No. No, God is worth, God is worth so much more than that. God is longing for so much more than that from us. So listen to what he says next. After saying that they've gone after the Baals, he makes this statement. This is what their fathers taught them. They were mentored in this. They were taught to do this by the generation ahead of them. So God says this. Verse 17. This is our lament towards the end of the chapter. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider and call the mourning women to come. Send the skillful women to come and let them make haste and raise a wailing over us that our eyes may run down with tears and our eyelids flow with water. For a sound of wailing is heard from Zion. How we are ruined. We are utterly shamed because we have left the land because we have been cast down from our dwellings. Verse 20. Hear, O women, the word of the Lord. And let your ear receive the word from his mouth, the word of his mouth. Teach your daughters a lament and each her neighbor a dirge. Now let's just stop for a second and look at what he's saying. Deuteronomy chapter 30, God had set before them life and death. God had called for them to walk in obedience to his word. Let me find that uh, and read that because it's important for you to understand some of the context of uh, what he's saying here. Deuteronomy chapter 30. I am relatively sure that it's Old Testament. Just kidding. Okay. He says, uh, verse 15, see, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil, if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I commanded you today by, the loving, by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you, have, you are entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away and you will not hear but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over to the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today 
that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life. Choose life that you, may, that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, and holding fast to him. For he is your life and length of days, that you may dwell in the land the Lord, your, the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them. Do you see what God was wanting so much? He wanted good for them. He wanted them to live with him in proximity to him, to obey his word, not because he just wanted them to be uh, robots and automatons. He wanted them to know the heart of God and live in the land. They had chosen not to do that. And so what does God say? Call for the women who will weep over you. Let them raise up a lament over you because if you don't feel this, get somebody that does and let them sing their song of lament until your eyes are flowing down with tears. Lament is important. Lament is something that we need to learn to do because God does it. It may make us uncomfortable at times. Emoting like this, it didn't make God uncomfortable. This was his response to sin and brokenness. We should take our apathy, our rebellion, we should take the things that have been done against us that hurt us, we should take those things into the throne room of God and sort them out with him there. We should say to him, Father, help me understand what is going on in my life? I don't want to carry this brokenness into the next generation. I don't want to carry this forward and have the energy that's unresolved here show up somewhere else where it doesn't belong. Teach me how to lament. Teach me how to sort things out in front of you in an honest, vulnerable way. Psalm 62 and verse 8. Trust in the Lord at all times. Pour out your heart before him. He is a refuge to those who will trust in him. So you hear that? Trust him at all times. Pour out your heart. Sometimes that's going to be a messy, ugly process. Laying bare in front of God all of the disappointments, all of the hurt, all of the rebellion, all of the apathy in your life, sorting it out in front of God, lamenting and weeping over the brokenness in your life, in your uh, spouse's life, in your children's life, in your neighbor's life. And if you don't feel that, you've got to unkink the hose of your life. You know what I mean by that, right? When, I, when, I'm, when I'm watering the plants in the backyard and everything's going fine and I give a little tug on the hose and all of a sudden the water stops. I know what happened. I don't need to go over and call a plumber, right? There's a kink somewhere. It must be unkinked. Spiritually speaking, unresolved sin, rebellion, hurts that people have, uh, sin that's been committed against you that brought hurt into your life, you can't just put your head down and walk through that. You can, but I've, I encourage you, that's not what God does here. You need to unkink this and say, God, help me. God, restore to me the joy of knowing you, because listen to what he says next. This is very telling stuff. After saying you should lament and teach your, uh, bring the women to lament over you, 
He says, for death, verse 21, has come into our windows and entered our palaces, cutting off the children uh, from the streets and the young men from the squares. It sounds so much like the Passover coming into Egypt that night, the destroyer coming in. Dead bodies of young men will fall like dung in the open field. She's after the reaper and none shall gather them. This is the picture of what sin is about to do to Judah. Verse 23, therefore, thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For these things... I delight, declares the Lord. Don't boast in your strength anymore. Don't boast in your wisdom. Don't boast in your money. See, those things will only pull your heart away from the heart of God. If you want to boast, God says, to that generation into this, boast in this that you know me, that I am the Lord God Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, that I am the God who practices steadfast love and justice and righteousness in the earth. If you, if you think about what God has just said there, he's calling you right back to the heart of who he is. Not just the religious activity of your life, but he's calling you into the heart to know him, to understand who he really is. Well, that'd be great. Except for God is holy and I'm not. When you read that verse earlier about God saying that he's going to avenge and punish, some part of us gets nervous, right? Because you realize that you're no different from that group. And a part of you wants to go, um, gosh, I'm glad I'm New Testament. Right? Like, I'm glad my sins won't be punished. Oh, but your sins were punished. We got found out. Our hearts were no different from them. We diversified our trust. Our hearts wander away from them just like theirs. In front of God, our hearts were exposed. The day that you got saved, you got caught in your sin. You got exposed in your sin. And God's holiness was determined to see that sin punished. And it was punished. The day that Jesus died, your sin was punished in full. And God was not greedily rubbing his hands together going, yeah, finally, I'm going to get you. I'm going to punish you. No, God took up that punishment of your sin and my sin with tears in his eyes. Shall I not punish them, declares the Lord? Shall I not avenge myself on this nation? Yes. Christ would die on our behalf. He was punished so that we could be set free. He did it like this, though. He would take up weeping and wailing and lamentation as he punished his son on our behalf. That's what it means if you don't know him. You're going to have to come through those gates. You're not going to get there by religion. If you're here this morning and you're kind of thinking, I'm a pretty swell guy. I've got really bad news for you. You're only a swell guy compared to some of us. I mean, compared to Josh, you're not even that good a guy, right? But 
you're not good enough. You're not going to get there like that. You're going to need a Savior who would die on behalf of your sins so that you could know who God really is. Religion's not going to get you there. It didn't work for them. It won't work for us. He says in this, verse 25, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. I will punish all those who are circumcised merely in flesh. Meaning you've got all the outer stuff going, but you don't know who he really is. You're going to need a savior. Well, I've got good news for you. Even today, the tear-stained face of our Father in heaven reaches out to you, saying, come back to me. I'm not interested in your religious duty. I'm interested in your heart. I'm interested in you knowing who I really am and feeling the weight of sin in your life relieved by my son, Jesus Christ. Do you know that's why we do this thing, communion, every week? It's because every week we need that reminder. Oh God, I'm so glad that your son has died on my behalf. I'm so glad that my sin was punished in him that day. God reaches even still to us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you that he never failed. His heart never wandered. Lord, he never put his trust outside of you. And he never disobeyed. Well, God, we thank you that in the lament that was so appropriate for our sin, there stood Jesus. There stood our Savior, not only ready to lament, but ready to stand in our place so that we could know you, so that we could draw near to you. God, I pray for the person who's here this morning and they're utterly convinced they're doing a pretty good job. They could stand in front of you today because they've done better than most and better than they used to do, God, would you show them that in front of you they have no hope in themselves, but in Jesus, they have a Savior who can wash away their sin and give them a declaration of righteousness because of what he's done in his death, his burial, his resurrection. For the person who's known you for a long time and they feel their heart has wandered, oh God, let them see your heart calling them back to know you, to love you, to experience the grace that is theirs in Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. If you are looking for info, find our website at RedeemerRR.org or download the Redeemer Round Rock app from the Android or iOS app store.